Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We are uh, back into our journey through the book of Genesis, so if you want to turn there to chapter 15, we're going to be in chapters 15 and 16 today. Uh, So it was great last week to celebrate our three years of uh, God's grace, by God's grace of being a church. Today we're back in the uh, book of Genesis, and um, I'm excited about that. A quick question for you guys today. Have you ever been shocked by somebody who is a real, true, committed follower of Jesus, and they have behaved in some way or done something or said something that is not in keeping with them being a real, true, committed follower of Jesus. You ever seen anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's my next thing. Let's, let's, let's remove all doubt. Have you ever looked in a mirror? Yeah, so have I. Yeah, yeah so have I. Um, when we look in the mirror, we find maybe, hopefully, people who are legitimately disciples of Jesus. We legit want to follow the Lord. We, by God's grace, have this thing in our heart where... Lord, I, I want to please you. I, I want to follow you. And we, but when we look in the mirror, particularly the mirror of God's word into our hearts, we're like, I'm pretty. Sometimes I'm pretty disappointed with what with what I see. And I think we can all relate to that. I, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, so what do we do with it? Well, thankfully, God wrote a book, and we are in it um, today. In this book, we see that the Bible is really honest about its quote-unquote heroes, is it not? What, like warts and all, man. Like, <laughs> and we've seen that with this guy, uh, Abram. Abram was a guy, surely he was a man of faith. He was following the Lord by faith. He had faith, trust in the Lord's covenant promise. We see that Abram, because his faith was real, his trust was real, God accounted that to Abram as righteousness, right? So he, he has a legit relationship with the Lord, but in spite of Abram's faith, in spite of his trust, Abram is still a dude, is he not? Abram's a guy. Um, And so we've also seen Abram fail to trust God time and again. We'll see it again today. Um, So let's pick up where we left off in the life of Abram in Genesis chapter 15. So far we've seen... um, God make a covenant promise to Abram now here toward the end of chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And what you're going to see is um, God, with his covenant promise, do something that is true of every covenant promise, that there is a ceremony, a a symbolic um, ratifying of that covenant. And let me just uh, say a quick note. Um, In our culture, there's this idea of, uh, covenant doesn't always need um, ratifying or an official say, well, we just love each other. And so our word is the covenant. No, no, even God himself has a formal ceremony to seal the covenant. God today in our passage performs this ceremony as both the covenant maker 
and the officiant. He's presiding over the covenant that he's making because there's no other higher thing for him to swear by. So God swears by himself. Um, Now, there's a ton in this end of chapter 15 that doesn't directly apply to chapter 16, which is going to be the bulk of our message. But like we've done in a couple of other um, sessions through the uh, book of Genesis, or say the gospel of Genesis, it's certainly in here, is it not? Um, I'm just going to, we're going to read through and I'll stop and make a little commentary as we go and it'll set the stage for 16. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 7. And he, God, said to him, Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So here we see God is telling Abram, gather the resources for this ceremony. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, wait a minute. There's a covenant taking place between two parties. Think of a wedding ceremony. What if the husband falls asleep? He can't really affirm his vows, can he? He can't ratify the covenant before God and before man. Here, God puts Abram to sleep. What does that mean? It means, again, God himself is performing the ceremony. Abram is asleep. This is a unilateral covenant God is making. As we see, um, even though Abram and Sarai, his wife, will will disobey and kind of subvert that covenant in some ways, God says, no, this covenant is going to take place because of who I am, Abram, not because of who you are, right? And so we'll see that as we go. Let's pick up. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him, Abram. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. So here God is putting a, a, a te- sort of night terrors on Abram. So Abram feels the affliction that's going to take place of his descendants. And it's, it's speaking of the Israelite slavery in Egypt. Um, and God's people are going to be taken into slavery so God can work out some righteousness that needs to be worked out in their lives. That's the reason they're going into slavery. God says, but, verse 14, I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. So even though it's wrong for the Egyptians to enslave God's people, God is allowing that to work righteousness in his people. So he's in some ways uh, judging his people, and he's judging the Egyptians who are enslaving his people. Verse 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. That's a weird statement. What does it mean that, why is God saying, hey, your people are going to go away, but they're not going to come back yet because the Amorites haven't sinned enough? (laughs) What does that that even mean? I just want to back out and, and have us understand God here is giving us brief little snippet into how he sovereignly deals with all people throughout all times in an unimaginably complex way, and we cannot fathom his plan. 
We've been singing about that this morning. God here is, is working with his people and the Egyptians and the Amorites and his people who will come back into this land. And we'll see here later a list of yet more people that God is working with in his sovereign plan to work things according to his gracious love uh, for them and, and for us. So the, the rising and the falling of nations, the eons of time are woven together and God is amazingly sovereign and brilliant in his plan. But as we've already seen, God is not only amazingly sovereign and brilliant, he's also amazingly gracious. Because check this, even the Amorites, the Amorites were a wicked people. They were, they were worshiping legit demonic beings and sacrificing their children to demonic beings. They were wicked people, but God here says that their sin is not full yet. God in his graciousness is even given, giving these Amorite people an opportunity to repent. God in his graciousness is making a way. He's, he's slow to anger. He's not wishing that any should perish. Verse 17, let's pick up. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. In uh, ancient cultures, the Hebrew word for making a covenant is actually to cut a covenant. You would cut a covenant with somebody else. So what would take place? You remember that God told Abram, hey, bring all these animals. Abram cut them, right, in half. So what would take place is, if uh, JC, if I was making a covenant with you, you and I would slaughter some animals, we would lay those animals out, and you and I, JC, would walk between those animals. And we would say, hey, the fate that's come upon these animals, death, be on me and you if one of us breaks a covenant. That's what that means. So you, we would cut a covenant together. It was a serious thing, right? Uh, and this is what God is doing with Abram. God is assuring. So, so that, that uh, penalty of death would assure, hey, I'm going to keep my end of the covenant. You're walking through it with me. You're going to keep your end of the covenant. What God is doing with Abram, God is saying in this flaming pot, much like he would do, do with Moses later with the burning bush, God is saying, I am taking the, the penalty of the covenant upon myself. If the covenant is not completed... God said, it'll be, it'll be my fault. Well, guess what? It will be completed. you know why? Because it's God's fault, right? It's not Abram's fault. It's not reliant upon what Abram does. It's reliant upon what God does. Can we just see the gospel in there for just a minute? This is great news. When God makes a covenant with you, guess what? If it was up to you to hold on and fulfill your covenant with God, guess what? We just talked about when we look in the mirror this morning, did we not? The covenant is over. But God says, no, no, no. I am the covenant maker. God says he is the ratifier of the covenant, and he is also the keeper of the covenant. So when you are unfaithful, and you will be, when I am unfaithful and I will be, God is the keeper of his covenant with me. God is the keeper of me. And if he's made covenant with you, he's the keeper of you. We'll return to that um, at the end of our time together. Let's pick up in verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, 
the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You're like, well, big deal. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for that devotion this morning. The reason that God lists all those people groups is because they are in the land where Jesus is going to be born. This is the land where the Messiah is going to be raised. We've seen with, with Abram, God has said, biologically, this is the line that the Messiah is going to be born through. Now we're seeing geographically where the Messiah is going to be raised in righteousness by his parents. So God has revealed both the, the biological line and the geographical location. Um, just a real quick note, you may not realize it, but this passage deals with the politics of our day. These, these people groups are still fighting over that land today. Have you guys read the news? This land is being fought over by these people. So let me just point out real quick, verse 18 in our passage, it says, On the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. So the land belongs to whom? The, the offspring of Abram, right? And as we'll see later, our text tells us that Abram's descendants are two, Ishmael, born to his servant Hagar, and um, Isaac, born to his wife Sarai. Uh, Isaac would have a son named, Bible students, Jacob. Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. And we'll read today that the legitimate descendants of Abram for God's covenant are through Israel, back up, Jacob, back up, Isaac, Sarai. Yeah, so just a political note, uh, the land belongs to the Jews. Uh, not, this is not a political statement, That's, I'm just, just saying what God says, this is God's covenant statement. So now, you may ask, okay, all these people were living there at the time, but God's driving them out? Is it, is it fair, honest question, is it fair for God to drive out a bunch of people to make room for this one people group? Yes. It's his to begin with. The book, the book of Deuteronomy tells us why God drove these people out. It says it's because of their own iniquity. God was bringing judgment upon them. And check this. Because that's where the Messiah, the Savior of all who will come to faith in the Lord, is going to be born, guess what? That provides salvation for even the descendants of these wicked people that are being driven out. It's actually God's grace to them that they're being driven out of this land. Do you realize that? God is righteous in all he does. He is, he is both sovereign and he is good in all things that he does. So now we've come to our message. We set the stage for chapter 16. This is the context. God has given this covenant to Abram. God is saying, I'm sovereign, Abram. God is saying, I'm good, Abram. God is saying, Abram, I want to do all of this through you. Now let's, let's pick up and see what happens. Let's see how this, this plays out in the life of Abram and his wife Sarai. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant. And shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar, and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. What we're seeing in our text is God has made this covenant promise with Abram. And with Sarai even. And and here Sarai and Abram try to help God fulfill his covenant. Try to help God by having Abram take Sarai's maidservant, Hagar, and uh, as as Abram's wife. Now, of course, um, this was never God's will for their life. We know that. We we will see that. Uh, But this didn't stop them from taking matters into their own hands. Right? God's... Timing wasn't their timing. It didn't look like God was going to come through. So what did they do? You know, maybe we can help God a little bit. Um, Maybe they wouldn't have said that out loud. Maybe that wouldn't have registered in their minds, but this is what's taking place. They're saying uh, it doesn't look like God is is good for his promise. Um, So maybe we can do it this way. And their decision has some consequences. We're dealing with those consequences, as I mentioned, even today. So what I want us to look at, um, the title of the message was The Lord Who Sees Us in Our Trouble. I want us to look at, in this passage, I think we can see some causes for our troubles. And we're then, after we look at some causes for our troubles, we're going to look at ways that we respond to our trouble. So let's take a look. I think we can see some causes. This is a tangled not of a relationship with Abram and Sarai and Hagar. It's like a soap opera, is it not? It's a mess. Um, But I think we can kind of tease out a few things. One of the things I believe that we see in here that causes their trouble and causes ours is we sometimes need to be seen a certain way. We sometimes need to be seen a certain way. In that culture, it was considered a disgrace for Abram and Sarai to be childless. It was seen that God had no favor upon them, that they maybe had somehow sinned in their lives. So it was disgraceful for them to not have children. 
Um, it didn't matter what, kind, what the reason behind it was, people would look, look down on them. They'd be mocked by their neighbors. Uh, now, to be clear, this was a society that had no problem with plurality in marriage, right? They were, they were all good with it. Um, so if a man like Abram were to take um, Hagar as his concubine or even as an additional wife in order that uh, he could have children, nobody would bat an eye. It would be totally acceptable in their culture. It was a fine way to do things. And if the concubine were to have a child, then that child would be considered a child of the, of the, the primary wife, Sarai, here. Uh, so in this way, in their thinking, hey, this is a way we can, we can have Sarai have a kid, and it'd be Abraham's, Abram's offspring, and it can, it can work this way, and it'll be accepted by our community. But as we'll see, it may have been acceptable by the community, but it was not acceptable to the covenant. This was not God's plan. And I just want to make a note here that we, as God's followers today, as disciples of Jesus, we are guilty of lowering our standards in such a way that we can hopefully look a certain way to our community, but it is not in keeping with our covenant. It is not how God would have us conduct ourselves. Listen, it is better to be rejected by every single human being you know and be accepted by the Lord because you've bowed yourself before Him. Our trouble often begins because we need to look a certain way. Uh, so let's not judge Abram and Sarai too hastily here. We, Again, we look in the mirror and see ourselves needing to be perceived by other people a certain way and then ordering the way we do things to fit that and not the covenant with the Lord that we're part of. Another, th- another thing um, I think that leads to their trouble and to ours is that we bring our baggage along for the ride. Anybody carry around any baggage? Right? If, if all of us who walked in here today had our metaphorical baggage with us and it all of a sudden became a real like knapsack, the, the, the worship or the welcome area would be full of, of sacks of baggage, would it not? And these people are bringing their baggage with them, and it's leading to the situation. Why do I say that? Abram messed up way back and went to Egypt. You guys remember this? If Abram had never sinned and gone to Egypt, guess who would not be in this relationship? Hagar. There's no Hagar if Abram didn't go to Egypt. Right? If there's no Hagar, it's just Abram and Sarai. And Abram is put in a position to better trust the Lord. There's no what quote, is quote-unquote an easy way out. Um, had, again, um, you, you never, uh, you, we never go into sin and come out clean. There's always stuff around it. Even when the Lord delivers us and forgives us from that sin, this is the law of sowing and reaping. Do we not know that? We reap what we sow. We really do. Abram is reaping here years later. The Bible tells us he had been in in this place now for 10 years. He's reaping the horrible benefits, if you can call them that, of having sinned a long time ago. The next thing I think leads to their problems and leads to ours is that we doubt God's promise. Clearly that's what's 
taking place here. We've been studying that with Abram over several weeks, where Abram is like, uh, yay, I'm doing well. I begin to doubt. I don't do so well, right? And I think we do that the same way, that Abram and Sarai here kind of decide, again, that God needs a little help fulfilling his covenant. So what do they do? They try to find a little wiggle room inside God's covenant promise with them. So uh, an internal raise of your hand. Do you ever find yourself, maybe consciously or subconsciously, seeking for a little bit of wiggle room in your relationship with the Lord? Lord, can I still maintain closeness with you and get away with this? Or and do things kind of, kind of this way? Looking for a little wiggle room. Is it within your covenant, Lord, for me to disobey your covenant is what you're asking. And that's what Abram and Sarai um, and maybe uh, I know that I've done that with the Lord. Maybe you've tried that one with the Lord as well, trying to find a little wiggle room in your covenant with the Lord. I, I truly believe um, that our doubt of God's promises, our doubt of God's faithfulness, our doubt of God's time for us and timing for us leads to more trouble than anything else. We forget who he is, we forget who we are in him, and we forget our relationship with him. We forget that he never leaves, he never forsakes, his timing is perfect, he is altogether good, and his ways are altogether lovely. We forget those things. And it leads to all kinds of craziness, drama in our lives that we could have otherwise avoided. Um, We um, Just consider real quick, think about Jesus again. Since the fall of man, humanity needed a Savior, right? For 4,000 years, Jesus never came. But we needed a Savior immediately, did we not? But God said that Jesus came, the Bible tells us, in the, quote, fullness of time. When God's time was right, when God's time was perfect, the Messiah came. We can trust the Lord. He always keeps his word. He just doesn't run on our schedule. We just sang this morning, he's faithful in our waiting. It's easy to sing that in here, but sometimes it's hard to live that out there, is it not? The Lord is faithful while we wait. We may not see fruit right now. We may not see, Abram didn't see fruit in Sarah's womb. It was not there. But God's covenant promise was still in place. He's just not on our timetable. He's just, he doesn't do things the way we think he should, and praise God for that. Praise God for that. I've often given the analogy that um, before I met my wife, I had legit made a, a list of 10 things that I desired in a wife, and I prayed for those 10 things. I thought, Lord, this is what you want for me. When I met Kelly, and I started thinking, hey, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little... Maybe there's something. I realized that she met three of the ten things. It was because I didn't know what I needed. I didn't even know what to pray for. But God in his grace gave me what he knows I need. God knows better than I do. God knows better than you do. So when it doesn't look like God is being faithful, man, just hold on. Don't doubt his promises. Don't doubt his goodness. Don't doubt his timing. So, uh, that's what leads to our trouble. So, I want to take a look also now. I think we see with Abram, Sarai, and Hagar ways to not respond to our trouble. <laughs> they, they, uh, this is how we should not respond to the trouble 
that we find ourselves in. Now, all three of them uh, really mess this thing up. Uh, all three of them found themselves responding in a way that was not, uh, this was not good. And I think all of us will be able to find ourselves here with Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, that we, we respond to the Lord in certain ways, uh, our problems in certain ways. Uh, first, very often we ignore the problem. If I close my eyes and pretend that thing isn't there, maybe it'll go away. I think this is what Abram did. What was Abram's response when uh, Sarai uh, got all fired up, angry that Hagar was uh, pregnant? Abram said, hey, man, she's in your hands. You do with her what you want to do, right? Now, truly, uh, Sarai had legal uh, authority over Hagar, so that was a legit thing. But can't, I cannot imagine that Abram, as the husband and the, the man in this household, didn't have a responsibility to make sure that Hagar was treated fairly and that Sarai was not looked upon with contempt by her maidservant. But Abram doesn't step in to his leadership role at all. Abram sort of uh, negates it, said, hey, uh, y'all work this out <laughs> between the two of you. Whatever looks good, y'all, y'all handle that. I'm just going to go over here because I know if, ain't mom, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And uh, happy wife, happy life. And uh, handle that, Sarai. Isn't that what's taking place right here? And so Abram's like, man, if I step out of it, they'll, they'll work it out, and I don't bear any responsibility. Because I didn't propose a solution. Men, have you, can you relate? If I don't propose a solution, when it goes wrong, it's not my fault. Well, Abram had a responsibility here. And I think he's trying to ignore the problem. And, and you, and not just men, but women as well, we know that when we have a place of responsibility, we have a place of, of authority, we have a place of uh, relationship that we need to speak into, we need to step into, when we ignore that, 100% chance, it always gets worse. When we neglect our duty, it gets worse. When we check out, when we try to ignore it, when we try to hope that the problem just goes away, it does not. When we turn our eye from our problem in, in, in hopes of, of not being responsible for it, it just grows. It gets worse. Anybody relate? Okay. The next thing uh, I, I see them doing that we do is we tend to blame others for our problem. We blame others. This, is, this was Sarai's situation. This is what Sarai did. Uh, who set all this up to begin with? Sarai did. Did she not? Now, it was Abram's fault that Hagar's in the household. But who, whose scheme was this? Sarai said, hey, Abram, check this out. Why don't you take Hagar, make her your wife, and maybe I can have a kid through her. This is Sarai's scheme of things. But what happens when her plan actually works? What does she do? She gets mad at Abram. Abram, this is your fault. And, and she, she hopes the Lord judges Abram. She calls down God's judgment. Abram, may the Lord judge between you and me, Right? She's fired up at Abram. She's fired up at Hagar. She even blames the Lord. The Lord has made me unable to bear children. Sarai is blaming everybody to keep the finger from pointing exactly where it should right at her. 
She's like the dude on the Matrix. She's dodging the bullets, man, right? It should legit be pointing at her. And so, so maybe, like Sarai, we in our lives, we find ourselves consciously or subconsciously when something is our fault, we try to dodge that arrow by throwing a bunch of arrows at everybody else. It's got to be somebody's fault. And if I blame it on them and them and them and them, maybe I can spread out blame enough so no fingers point at me. This is what Sarai is doing here. So sometimes we blame our problems on other people. This is not a godly response. Sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we blame others. I also think sometimes we run from our problems. This is what Hagar did. This is what Hagar did. Now, Hagar did not ask for this problem, did she? But she's got one. Here she is in the problem. And I think this is, this is so common, man. Hagar decides that the solution to the problem is to just leave. Man, there's all kinds of drama going on. You know what? I'm, I'm better off. I'm just out. I'm out. Now, um, certainly, there is a time in a place to flee from a problem. There, there really is. And so we need, to be, um, we need to be wise and we need to be open to the Spirit of God as to when that is. But certainly, check this out, if you find yourself fleeing from this problem, then fleeing from that problem, then fleeing from that problem, if you see yourself going from situation to situation as a routine thing or as a, or as a habitual thing, at least, in part, maybe part of the problem is not out there. It's in here. If that's a pattern in your life of I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, then at least part of the problem could be in your own heart. So we need to be open to that. We need to be aware that that's at least a possibility. Um, you know, a problem arises on a job. You, you and the boss, man, or you and a coworker, or whatever. Rather than relationally leaning into that or trying to make a difference in your workplace, you're always out. And so you go from job to job to job to job. Or um, conflict arises between you and another person in the church. Rather than lean into that person, you dump that friendship. I'll just get new friends. Or the church doesn't meet all your felt needs or, or, or doesn't meet um, your expectations. Well, okay, so that's not the place for us because it's not perfect for us. We'll, we'll go over here. Maybe this place will be perfect for us. Or may, may, maybe this place will be perfect for us. Um, you, can, you can find a situation maybe in a marriage. You know what? Um, this isn't really working out. This person's difficult to live with. Um, I'm going to find a new mate. I'm out. Right? If again, if that's... If that's just check your heart. If that's a, a default mentality of when marriage gets hard, when church gets hard, when the job gets hard, when the friendship gets hard, if you find yourself wanting to check out and move on, there may be a problem in the heart. There may be something that the Lord would call to your attention inside your heart because you're running from the problem. Listen, in those situations, running rarely fixes anything. Fleeing doesn't fix anything. Guess what? Everywhere you go, there you are. So we take our broke selves into every situation. Sorry, broken. We take our broken selves. The Oakley came out of me there for a minute. We, 
uh, we take our broken selves everywhere we go. Um, so we carry our problems with us because we have problems in us. And we take them to each new relationship, each new church, each new job, each new friendship. We take ourselves with us. Fleeing doesn't fix anything. Hagar fled, but is she not still pregnant with Abram's child? She's not fixing anything. In fact, she's made it worse. Now she's a single woman, pregnant, alone, in the desert. She made things worse. She thought she was going to fix her problem by fleeing it, but she's actually made things worse. And I think this is how things work out with us many times when we have a propensity, a disposition, a posture of fleeing when things get difficult. So those are some wrong ways to deal with our problems. The last thing I want us to investigate today or to learn today or be reminded of today is that yet, in spite of those things, God graciously sees us in our troubles. He really does. Let's pick up in verse 9. We see the fact that God sent Hagar back to the family. Visit her out in the wilderness where she had fled. He says, Hagar, go home. Go home. And I think he does this for multiple reasons. Um, God wants to, to have some restoration in that family situation. As broken and whacked out as it is, the Lord um, has a desire for them. He has major, major plans for them. Um, listen, God, um, we've said it in here a million times, God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. He's primarily concerned with your holiness. And sometimes, facing our problem, sitting in our problem, leaning into our problem, looking for the Lord and solution to that problem is integral and foundational and essential in God's process of working on our holiness. And in that process, it doesn't always feel like happiness. But we have to trust that the Lord is indeed working on our holiness. And again, sometimes forcing us to sit in our problem and work on it is God's way of accomplishing a work of holiness in our souls. So even in the grand scope of history, remember here God is forming nations and, and, and peoples and geography and, and the, the scope of time. All these cosmic things are happening in this passage He's providing a people and a place for the Savior to be born. Yet, even in the grand scope of things, God leans into Hagar and cares about her intimate family life. He says, Hagar, go home. Go home. Notice that Hagar, man, God is the, is the king of heaven and earth, but he's also the lover of our souls, people. Do you understand that? Hagar is is not the primary wife of Abram, who's the, the, the covenant member. She's the maidservant at the time. Hagar is not the person the Messiah is going to be born through. Hagar's like a, a side player here, yet God shows mercy to Hagar. God even appears to Hagar. 
This particular angel of the Lord, translated literally messenger of Yahweh, is actually the same person referred to as the word of the Lord, speaking to Abram back in verse 15. He refers to himself in the first person in verse 10. He says, I will multiply your offspring. And then in verse 13, Hagar says, it says that she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And she says, you are a God of seeing for she said, surely here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar knows she's in the presence of God and she has seen him. Hagar is dealing with the Lord himself. And again, as we've talked about in other times uh, during this series, John chapter 1 tells us that no one has seen the Father, but that, that uh, the Word who's at the Father's side has made him known. Hagar is meeting with the fulfillment of the covenant God himself. Hagar is being visited by the covenant maker and the covenant keeper and the covenant fulfiller, the Messiah promised through Abram, and he is blessing her. He said, I will make your, your nation great. You won't be able to number your descendants either. He is blessing her, and don't miss the point. The point is that even in her sin, Hagar had messed up the situation that she had been thrust into. She had been sinned against, and now she's sinning. But yet in her sin... And her fleeing when she should not have. God steps beside her. He provides for Hagar. And God himself is with Hagar in the wilderness, even though she should have never been there. God is with her. He comes to a lowly maidservant in the very same way that he had just come to Abraham chapters before. God is near to everybody who calls his name. King, maidservant, CEO, janitor, man, woman, child, baby, does not matter. The Lord is near equally to all who call his name. And he's equal, equally with us even in the wilderness that we should have never been in to begin with. In spite of our sinful choices, in the midst of our troubles, God asks us to follow him. He empowers us to follow him. Now, at the same time, we've got to remember that the Bible also teaches things like Proverbs 13, 15 that says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. What does that mean? Even though God delivers you, even though God is with you, there still may be consequences for you to bear for the stupid thing you did. Anybody seen this in your life? Uh, bad choices lead to all kinds of drama that you could have otherwise avoided. Can I get a witness? <laughs> right? Um, let's quickly look at what became of this mess. In verses 11 to 12, it says that Hagar's son Ishmael was going to be a major problem for everybody that dealt with him. Um, he's going to be aggressive toward his brothers. Again, we see this in the world today. Those people are still fighting over the land. But notice that even in our, in our sin, even though our sin has, has consequences, God is so sovereign that he will accomplish his plan even through the sinful choices that we make. He's going to use it for his glory. We'll see that this, this conflict was used in the coming of the Messiah. This conflict, if you read the end of your Bibles, is going to be used at the return of the Messiah as well. We can't mess up God's plan, you people. You, you understand this? He is gracious to us. Even when we mess things up royally, he is, is royal. He is king, and he is sovereign over our problems. 